Hello everyone. This podcast episode is with the longtime dear Rockstar Inner Circle VIP member, Sergio Manzor. Sergio's story is incredible. He grew up in Argentina and experienced periods of hyperinflation through his entire life until he moved to Canada 15 years ago with his wife. Once here, they started a family and carried on with the traditional life path of good job, save money, invest in mutual funds, and hopefully retire one day. But something stirred inside Sergio and his wife at one point and they decided to check out real estate investing. They joined the Rockstar Inner Circle back in 2017 took the rockstar red pill and nothing was the same since he started buying real estate like a madman over the past five years and in the past year was able to quit his longtime corporate job buy one villa in the dominican republic build a second villa there now and move his entire family to the dr to live and invest full-time in the caribbean it's awesome uh, Sergio is absolutely an inspirational figure, and as someone who started investing in his late 40s, he proves that it's never too late to change your life. What I find most impressive about Sergio, though, is how humble as a person he is and how much credit he gives to the people who helped him along the way. I think he just nails the right approach to life. Keep striving for more, never give up, invest wisely, always remain humble, and give credit to the people who helped you. He's incredible. And so we talk about everything from Argentina to Canada and his new life investing in the Dominican. Sergio also touched upon all the personal development and mindset shifts that he had to make in order to become the person who could accomplish all these investing feats. And I found it powerful. Many of you who listen to this podcast or who have been to rockstar events likely know of Tom and Nick's dedication to personal development and cultivating a strong mind like Sergio. One of the many perks that you get as a rockstar inner circle member is we mail you a 12 page monthly newsletter every month. In this newsletter, we share all kinds of stuff, upcoming classes and events for members, photos from the rockstar community wearing your life your terms t-shirts all over the world an inner circle insider page where we share wins from the rockstar community such as who purchased homes where they purchased types of homes they bought how much rent they're getting strategies they used success stories like members purchasing vacation homes etc a coach's corner section where rockstar investing coaches write about strategies to use and investing tactics a rockstar member of the month story written by rockstar members themselves where they share how they built their portfolio the cash flow they're getting on all their homes the ins and outs of their real estate journey and words of wisdom that they've kind of learned from their their journey and their path uh, special articles from Tom, Nick, and our rockstar researcher, Kyle, on the real estate market, economy, trends we're watching, data we've put together, uh, really everything you need to get an information advantage to maximize your returns investing in Southern Ontario. And my personal favorite, the rockstar rants, where Tom rants about something new in his life or happening at rockstar every month and mixes in his tried and true personal development lessons. I friggin' love this rant. The lessons that Tom shares always seem so timely to help me manage issues that I'm dealing with in my own life. So I just love it. Uh, there's a big focus on personal development here at Rockstar because as Sergio shares, it really is the foundation of achieve, of achieving anything in life or in real estate. So if you're interested in getting this monthly newsletter and learning powerful personal development lessons to help you on your own investing journey, check out rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member to check out the 11 big benefits of joining the Rockstar Inner Circle, including the monthly newsletter being one of them. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. And whenever I hear forward slash, I get confused a little bit, but it's it's just a slash, the normal slash that you use. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com slash member. And with that, Sergio Manzor's incredible journey, everyone. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life. Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. <laughs> okay. 
So I am live with Mr. Sergio Manzur. Sergio is a very inspirational guy. Um, he's been with Rockstar for five, six years? Five, five and a half years. Yeah. Okay, do you want to just yeah. come a bit closer, Sergio? Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, that's perfect, man. Getting used to this new thing. <laughs> yeah. So Sergio has um, quite the life story. He started out in Argentina, uh, came to Canada at a certain point, which we'll get into, built up uh, quite a large and impressive real estate portfolio here in Canada, and has recently now immigrated, or what, is that the right word, moved to the Dominican Republic? The Dominican Republic. Yeah. Yep. Is it official immigration to Dominican? So far, I mean, we are there, we are loving it, we are planning to stay some time, okay. see how we feel, and if we really like it, we may stay longer. But for us, it's an adventure, right? An adventure that right now we, we can do, and we'll give it our best, and we'll see how the family adapts. And if it's good, we'll, we'll stay longer. We'll, we'll okay. So you haven't gone down the path of like formal uh, residency no, or citizenship no, no. yet? We already know exactly how the process uh, looks. And because we have invested in the Dominican Republic, we, we would qualify for that. So we meet the criteria, but we haven't uh, started the process yet. Okay. Just so to be busy with other stuff, but at least we know that that's something that we can start at any point in time. And we're likely going to do it sometime this year. That's our thinking. Okay. Just come a little bit closer. Okay. Just so it picks up. Yeah. And then... Um, so you purchased two villas. So you purchased one villa for yourself to, that was already built and everything that you moved into. I think this was this in a gated community in the Dominican. Yes. And right. now and then purchased another lot. And then we purchased a lot and we built a brand new villa uh, where we're living since uh, January 1st. Wow. Yeah. And you kept your entire real estate portfolio here in Canada still? We actually sold two properties at the beginning of uh, 2022. Okay. Strategically, because we needed, we wanted to redeploy that capital to the Dominican. But yeah, only those. So we still have uh, 12 uh, rental properties uh, here in Canada. Okay. Can Seven I in ask? Ontario and five in Alberta. Yeah. Okay. How did you get the, the money over to the Dominican then? Like the actual process? Yeah. Actually, it wasn't difficult at all. It was all done through banks, like a wire transfer. Just wire where, transfers? Yeah, wire transfer. You know, there's some fees that are involved. What were the fees, we roughly? No, no issues. It was probably like $150, something like that. Oh, really? So you could wire like 200000 over? Yeah. And then, but then yeah. you have to also convert to US dollars for the Dominican? Yes. In this case, yeah, we, we, we have here, you know, checking accounts in US dollars and, uh, and uh, Canadian dollars. So we transfer from US dollars. You can probably also do it from Canadian dollars directly. But then I think you're going to end up paying a little bit more in, 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 in currency conversion, right? Versus converting here in Canada? Yeah. Like if you find a way to change the money here in Canada uh, at the right rate, then you're transferring US dollars and the only thing that you pay is all the, the bank fees, which even for larger amounts, it was something like $150, maybe a little bit more, but yeah. Okay. Were you Actually, if you transfer maybe you know ten thousand dollars, you're still you're not gonna pay a hundred and fifty, but you may still pay a hundred dollars, right, for the for the wire transfer, and they charge you when the bank that receives it there, they charge you another fifteen dollars. So there's some cost involved, but it's not much. Okay. Were you kind of cursing the timing with the U.S. dollar to Canadian dollar ratio? Yeah. Actually, I was a little bit lucky then because when I transfer was a around April uh, last year mm -hmm. and the rate wasn't that bad at that time. Okay. I think we ended up changing at 127, 128 and then it went all the way to 135, right? And now I think it's still around that mark. So Wow. 
Yeah. So. Okay. So I want to get into a bit of your uh, backstory and then we can talk, I think, Dominican details because a lot of people are interested in investing in the Caribbean right now. And you're an amazing resource. You just actually presented at the Rockstar VIP event last week on how you invested in the Dominican, all the nuts and bolts of everything, which I definitely want to get into. But you grew up in Argentina and then yeah. came to Canada what year? Yeah, 2007. 2007. How old were you? Yeah, we were. I was 38 and my wife was uh, 35. Okay, so you so had... are definitely not kids. We already had, you know, many years of living there, studying there, working there, trying to make a living there, etc. Right. So we were full blown adults that we realized that, hey, we, we need a change in our life. We need to move somewhere else where we can have a better opportunities, a better environment to, to raise our families. And, and really coming to Canada was a blessing. So what, what were the opportunities you're looking for? Like what wasn't available to you in Argentina that you felt was here in Canada? Yeah, so the, the, the main concern was all the financial struggles that Argentina went through for decades. <laughs> the last one that hit us really hard when we still were there was in late 2001. was another massive, uh, you know, crisis with bank uh, close closures and hyperinflation. But in spite of those big, nasty events that happen every five, ten years, the situation is never good, right? And inflation has been, uh, you know, very, very high. Just to give you an idea of what, what type of inflation or uncurrency depreciation uh, we are talking, at the end of 2021, there was a plan, a convertibility plan, where one dollar, one dollar was one peso. Now. In Argentina, you need like 400 pesos to buy $1. It's unreal, and that is just in over <laughs> 20 years. So that's so 400x inflation it, against it, the US dollar. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. So it's uh, what, what are the currencies of the country? It's entirely run on peso, or yeah. is it dollarized as well? Yeah, it is called, no, it is peso. However, some markets like real estate is pretty much dollarized. Similar is in the Dominican Republic, and the the, the main issue is that for you know big ticket uh, assets, nobody trusts the local currency, and no one can really keep track of is this a good price or not, right? Because mm. when you have inflation that is at a minimum you know 30, 40, 50 percent a year, and we had times where it was significantly more than that, you just lose track of how much things are, are value, right? So you have to refer to the US dollar to be able to, to keep track. Is that for all big ticket items? It's like houses, um, cars, like anything that has a substantial amount of value, they need a stable currency to peg it against so you can determine values? Yes, 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 I would say yes. Cars, maybe half and half, but for property, for sure, yeah. Even if then at the end you say, okay, you know what, we're going to do it in this date and some is going to be done in pesos. Okay, but still all the negotiation and the contract and everything happens in, in US dollars. Yeah. Okay. And what was life like living through that inflation? Like, first of all, why were these inflation events happening? Like in 2001, was it because of the dot-com crash in the financial markets here? No, no, no. This started, you know, many, many years ago was systemic, uh, you know, economic uh, problems that Argentina had, probably driven by a lot of corruption in the mm -hmm. in governments. And, you know, when governments are corrupt, they are essentially very inefficient in terms of how they allocate the resources. And they don't create the right environment for people to trust the country and invest in the country. 
So when you have that type of situation, people want to keep their savings, uh, you know, somewhere else, maybe outside. If it's in the banking system, at least dollarize that you can still do that, even if occasionally we had problems with that, or have the cash in, in their in their house, or transfer the money abroad, right? And, and and make sure that okay, at least some of those savings are perceive as more secure because they are outside of the country, right? In a, you know, in a US dollar account or buying some assets outside of the country. So yeah, it has been uh, quite a ride economically, uh, Argentina, yeah. uh, but I would say a ride where it consistently came lower and lower, right? Even from when my wife and I came almost 16 years ago, it is much worse right now. So when we left, we knew that, hey, we, we don't have a lot of hope that this is going to improve, and it, it didn't. It actually went uh, went worse, right? So so were there actual good job opportunities and career opportunities in Argentina, and it was just like the macro environment where you where the hyperinflation just wiped out everyone's savings? Was that the main issue? Great question. I would say in terms of opportunities and good jobs, yeah, those exist, but it's mm-hmm. much more competitive to be able to get those jobs. So there, there are a lot of uh, good opportunities, and you have a lot of people that are that are looking for those, right? So even if you, you know, you have a good education and good grades and and every grades and everything, uh, it's not easy to find a really good job in a good company. And then if the economy doesn't do that well and companies don't grow, even if once you are in the company, it's not easy to to get a promotion, right? And to and to progress. So part of what I realized is that, okay, I was already, you know, I did have a, a good job. And because of my job, I traveled here to Canada, to the US, and I realized that, okay, people are not struggling as much as I do. They are probably mm-hmm. working the same or even sometimes less, and I'm, and, and I'm not getting ahead, right? How could you tell? Was it just like the appearance of wealth? Was it the people's lifestyles? Yeah, a little bit of the, you know, the more peaceful, my, uh, type you know type of living I would say more more calm living no so stressful uh, as we were over there in the main reason is that uh, when you live in a country like Argentina unfortunately you have to have a lot of open fronts because it's not just worrying about your job and I try not to but at the same time you have to worry about inflation you have to worry about currency depreciation, you have to worry about what's going to happen with your savings and how are, how am I going to keep my savings yeah. uh, safe, right? Is it really like, you know, having like US dollar cash mm-hmm. hidden under the mattress or in a checking account or somewhere outside the country? That is the main concern. I know in some cases I mentioned more like a defensive strategy. I know Tom liked that. Yeah, that, that word. it's a great analogy. But yeah, but, but, but it was truly like that. I realized that, hey, the, the, the main focus is protecting whatever you have. You cannot really focus on investing because there is something that takes precedent, right? Which is just playing it safe first. And the analogy that you used uh, was that in Argentina, you, you felt like you were playing defense to protect what you have. But here in All Canada, you felt like you could play offense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you asked me about the opportunities, and I think you asked me about uh, something else. It was just yeah, like what you know, like why did you feel Canada had better opportunities? Was it just the macro environment? Like, hey, you can actually protect your savings at least compared to Argentina, or was it the actual you know economy in terms of jobs and everything else? Yeah, it was. It was the economy for sure, and the opportunities that that I, that I saw here. Mm-hmm. But it was mainly the the macro environment, right, mm-hmm. and the the stability, the financial stability the fact that inflation was you know uh, 
very low at that time. And uh, I would see people, you know, working and if they do a good job, they were getting ahead, right? And they, they were able to progress. So I was starting to compare and say, okay, you know what? I'm working the same as hard or, or harder, but I'm moving like a turtle, right? <laughs> so yeah. I don't have that type of opportunity. I don't have the, the you know, the, the, the right peace of mind to focus on other stuff because mm -hmm. I have to constantly be worried, as I said, about what's gonna happen with my savings, with inflation rate, with currency depreciation, and even other stuff like uh, security in the street, which uh, when I was, uh, you know, when I was young, it wasn't really an issue, but as the economy deteriorates and there's more poverty, yeah. it, act uh, it actually got worse and worse. Well, I was so just thinking the that fact that people had to like store savings in cash under their mattress just opens you up to so much more crime because oh. now, now oh. you're, you're not secured by the banks, right? Totally. Totally. I mean, the robbers know that everyone or, or most people that have some savings are likely going to be in, in US dollar cash in their house somewhere, right? So, so was that the main de defense against inflation was uh, US dollars either in a bank account or under the mattress? Yes, it was US dollar, but I, I would say it was also purchasing property. Even if I didn't have that vision at that time, I realized that through all those different crises, whoever owned assets would still be okay or even thrive because those assets end up appreciating a lot versus the local currency when you have a high inflation, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's really the, the refuge, right? But were those assets like like real estate, were they appreciating in US dollars or were they appreciating in, obviously they're appreciating in pesos. Yeah. So, but, but you were still measuring it against the US dollar? Yeah, I would say in US dollars, they were stable okay. for the most part. When there, when there was a, a big crisis, they will go down a little bit. Mm -hmm. on price but then when things improve uh, a little bit more they will they will go up but if you look over time you still see how you know how property prices have uh, has, has gone up right mm -hmm. and the reality of uh, Argentina right now and and you know the population is growing and when you have these <coughs> successive uh, crises construction sometimes comes to a stall or slows mm -hmm. down dramatically. So the, the the amount of new housing that is added to the market, you know, with younger population, and the, the, you basically have a, a housing crisis that ends up on, you know, appreciating the, the value of the assets. So even through the successive crises, you still see that. Right now in Argentina, we're talking you know, early 2023. Again, it's another downtime where I, I heard, yeah, properties are not selling, and if you wanna sell, you you have to lower your price. Okay, very liquid market, very disrupted, and yeah, it, it may take a hit at some time, but then when things improve a little bit, it's, it's likely that properties are gonna be where they were in the past, right, so. Mm -hmm. Now, US dollars, even in the bank, or maybe it's pesos, aren't even safe either, because wouldn't banks claim it and then do a currency devaluation overnight? Yeah, Did, didn't that happen one, to you? One of the things that happened to us at that big crisis at the end of 2021, we had a, you know, a checking account with US dollars in addition to another one in pesos, and the US dollar one got frozen so, hey, I think the first few weeks you, you were able to take only $250 per week, no matter how much you had. Everyone, it was the same for everyone. And this is 2021? End of 2021. And then a couple of weeks later, when things deteriorated further, they say, okay, you know what? No, we're, we're 
forcing and converting those uh, dollars that were one to one. At that time, it was one to three. So if you had $30,000, then suddenly uh, that were pesos, same as pesos, then you found yourself with $10,000, like right overnight. Wow. So you really felt frustrated, you feel robbed, you feel a little bit helpless, right? When you when you have, you know. The well, that's gov- your government and bank literally robbing you of $20,000 yeah. overnight. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what it is, right? Wow. But it's also based on a, a lack of confidence in the system that has been built in, in the population for, for a very long time. So that's why yeah. you have those crises, but those crises can be very different in different countries because in you know, a country like Canada, the majority of people still trust the banking system and trust the government. <laughs> For now. <laughs> For now. That's not, yeah, in, in 2020, March 2020, April 2020, banks were freezing people from withdrawing cash yeah, at ATMs. Don't get me going with that yeah. one, but, oh, but, God, yeah. but that that was a, a, a really low point for us, right? After being 15 years in Canada and seeing that the government would do those things, it was really a big wake-up call. And, uh, you know, probably one, another reason why we ended up investing in the Dominican Republic, mm. right? Because we said, hey, we, we better watch out, and now we probably have to hedge our, uh, a little bit uh, uh, where we have our wealth, right? And having everything in Canada didn't felt that comfortable. And did you ever imagine you'd get to that point in Canada where? No, never. Wow. Never. <laughs> never. I never expected that I would see, you know, the, the loss of freedom and these four mandates and all the the crap that we <laughs> that we went through, right? Honestly, that was a big disappointment. Yeah. I think it can still improve eventually if the, the government changes, but again, don't let me go in there, but with sure. the government that we have right now, it's, it's, it's downhill, right? I think in every aspect, it's in the finances, in, you know, healthcare, in everything, right? And how the government has, uh, you know, divided the population and benefit from that polarization is just disgusting. So I hope it changes. In the- you, you can tell, uh, yeah, how disappointed you are that you are, a passionate Canadian. Like, would you identify as a passionate? You've been here for 15 I years. Now. I, I am a proud Canadian. I yeah. love this country because this country gave us everything that we, my wife and I, ne- needed at that time. Gave yeah. us the opportunity to, you know, to live in peace, to raise a family, to invest, to, you know, to be better financially. Yeah. Everything. So it, it, it's it's an amazing country. So when some things turn for the worse as as they, uh, as they did yeah and talking to many other people many people are just asleep at the wheel at the wheel right they don't realize what's happening and the the severity of what actually happened a year ago it's to me it's something that is truly going to have implications in the future you're talking specifically about freezing bank accounts yes yes yep. but but uh, it's going to have implications in the future yeah but you know the, the the wheel doesn't turn that fast, right? But in the future, some implications in terms of you know people that may not want to immigrate to a country like Canada because of that, or they may not want to bring their capital here because of something like that. So it doesn't happen overnight, but the markets, you know, see what has happened, and this is I think that was a turning point, and Canada wasn't and is not seen as as it was before that event, right? That's, I seriously believe that. So. Does it remind you of maybe when you were younger in Argentina growing up, the early 
the early signs of what was to come in Argentina? Yeah, the main with the inflation main, getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, the the main difference that you have between developing countries like Argentina or you know Western civilization or countries like Canada is that in a place like Argentina and many other developing countries, nobody really trusted the local currency. And this is decades old, right? So all the debt that the countries had to raise was in, a, you know, foreign currencies, primarily US dollar, but not just the US dollar, right? So that's how those governments finance themselves. They cannot just print, even if they do, but the more they print, the more inflation they create. It, it's just a mess, right? So they borrow a lot of their, their debt in, in foreign currency. So essentially, when the reckoning date comes and you cannot pay that debt anymore, you have to default. That's, so that was one of the, all those defaults were the biggest inflection points, right? Where things got worse from there and all the debt restructuring and all that mess that, that happened, right? I think Argentina or even Venezuela are good examples of, of that situation, but there were also other countries that defaulted on their, on their debt in the future. But we're never talking about, you know, the G7 countries, right? Yeah. So, uh, because G7 countries, they actually control their currency. And people still believe in the, the currency. I don't know if that's going to go forever, but right now, people do. So, can they run deficits? Yeah, it's painful, but that's what they would do. And if they have to run to even larger deficits, uh, as, as is happening right now, you have to finance that with, with new debt that you have to create. And because it's your own currency, you can still get away with that. But what people are, you know, are starting to realize uh, is that there is, you know, there are things that are going to happen because of that. And one of them is going to be inflation. There is no other way. If you debase the currency, it leads to inflation. So, and no matter how the government tries to explain the, the inflation as what are the causes of inflation, they, they never really get to the real point, which is if you debase the currency, it leads to inflation. Mm -hmm. They don't take responsibility. No, they don't. For the inflation. They're try, trying to point fingers <laughs> why we have inflation and they come as the big good guys that are trying to, to you know, to, to fix it. But it's, it's how, it's the result of their actions, right? And then, you know, they, they play with the numbers. Now they change how they're going to measure the, the CPI, the Consumer Price Index again, mm -hmm. just to look better. It's just a big game that uh, it, it's awful, it's very frustrating, and it gets, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's, it's you see what, You see where the puck is people, going. Yes, I remember even Greg Foss saying that, hey, Canada, if it continues in, in this path, it's going to be like Venezuela and Argentina. I'm not sure 100% about that, but it could be. If it, if, it, if it continues like this, like devising the currency, like, you know, maybe 30% in, in one single year, that's where it goes. Mm -hmm. So well, I'm it, hoping that at some point in time uh, it, that changes because I still, we, we, I think we still have time to, to turn this situation around. But right now I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, so. Well, it's a huge erosion in trust. Um, like having grown up here, you know, I knew about inflation and it was one of the reasons I had gotten into real estate, you know, three years ago and started buying properties. I realized I had at least known then, I think from, from Rockstar and from other sources that like, 
you know, it's not necessarily the value of homes going up, but it's the value of the currency going down. And 100%. I understood that a bit, but then like, yeah, March, 2020, April, 2020 was a huge turning point for me where a lot of my trust eroded, I think in the government and in our currency Yeah, to the point where it was, it was the starting point for me. Like that, that's where the, I lost trust. And now other people it's, they're going to be, it's going to take them being pushed to another point to, for them to lose their trust. And then slowly but surely it kind of spreads if yes. this continues, right? Yes. Yes, yes. And I don't see any any turning point right now, mm -hmm. especially with the government that we have in place, right? So So in Argentina, did they measure inflation with CPI, some form of consumer price index as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. Yeah, and uh, and mess with the they numbers all, they too. Also, they also mess with the numbers and at some point in time even they they start they stop reporting it. And it's all games, right? And they always explain why they change, how they measure, whatever. But the uh, the end goal is always the same, right? Which is to show a number that is lower than than what it really is, right? With mm -hmm. all these, uh, you know, substitution uh, model, and it's happening here too. Uh, you guys have talked about that many times, right? How, the, but the government is actively manipulating the inflation to look less than what it really is. Yeah. So. It's unfortunate, and, but, but at the end, you know, one, one thing that I learned is that governments can do a lot of, you know, silly things or unfair things. If the majority of the population rolls with it and accepts it, then we're all screwed because <laughs> they're not going to change a course. Mm -hmm. But if the majority of people would say, okay, no, I don't like this, I'm not going to comply with all this nonsense, then they will ha they may have to change course right because they don't want to you know get into to that situation but as as long as the majority of the people are asleep at the wheel and they devour all the government propaganda which again don't get me going there but the propaganda that exists here in Canada is actually pretty pretty big and pretty serious i'm not talking just cbc but you know CP24, Global News, all, all, all the media that is subsidized by the government mm -hmm. for a reason, because they, yeah, it, it's just, uh, but, you know, pretty disgusting what's, what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. But again, I still have hope that uh, it's going to change because I believe in this country and I believe in the, you know, in the, in the population. And I think people are going to start to wake up and change can happen and hopefully it will happen. So. Well, you've still got 12 rental properties here, so you haven't uh, totally lost your I faith for have, sure, right? Exactly. So that's that's a business that we have here, and it's a good business, and yeah, we still have a hope on, on that. Uh, and because of what we were talking, right, and inflation, I think it, I think it's, it's going to be systemic. We may have periods that it goes up, down, whatever, but mm -hmm. maybe we get to an average of 4 or 5% and not the 2% that we had prior to, to this crisis because the government is going to have to start easing at some point in time, right? They just cannot continue to raise rates and, and crush the economy. They have to find some balance, so they may have to let some inflation happen. Mm -hmm. Of course, they are going to lie about the, the level of inflation with manipulating the, the numbers, but that's what I think is going to happen. And when that happens, assets always win when there is inflation. Mm -hmm. Assets always win. Now in Argentina, did you see hard assets do better than, let's say, stocks, paper assets? Uh, I would say yes. I, overall, I would say, as I said, with, with those up and downs. But if I have to look at a trend, yeah, hard assets uh, do well. And even in you know in places like Buenos Aires, in a nice place, you want to buy a property, it's it's expensive. 
-hmm. It's very expensive. And it's actually incredibly expensive and completely unaffordable for a big chunk of the population because there is no access to credit or the access to credit is limited and very, very expensive. So if you don't already own a property and have some assets that you can sell one, buy another one, whatever, for uh, young people to access those uh, properties is virtually impossible. And the funny thing is that here we are moving in, <laughs> in, a, in the exact same in, direction. In, in the same direction. Did you own property in Argentina? Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I owned a, a condo that we sold a, a year after after we we came to Canada. Now, if you owned property, you're saying access to credit was difficult. But if you already owned property, was it a lot easier to then get lending against that because you had this golden collateral? Sometimes it wasn't even lending, but it was the fact that you can use the the money that you have because many people all the the properties say uh, you know free and clear towards the new purchase. And so you could borrow against it to... Or, or no, you, you use that money that you have in one, in one property to buy another one. And if you have to borrow, you may borrow just a little bit. But isn't the money locked up? Like how do you use the money if it's in the property? No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking selling. Sorry. Oh, selling. Selling. Yeah. And buying something else. Yeah. Okay. No. Even if you own a property, you want to buy another one. Still and you difficult. Have to qualify if you don't have a you know a, a big portion of that money saved, it's virtually impossible. And even when my when my wife and I we we bought a condo pre-construction in the year twenty when was it like, uh, two thousand, um, and we took a mortgage. At that time, in the, the economy was a little bit more stable, so we took a mortgage uh, in U.S. dollars at 10.75%. Wow. <laughs> so super expensive, and in U.S. dollars, so it had the currency risk too. Was that we expensive taken, at the time? In, in it was market? super expensive, because if we had taken a, a mortgage in pesos, the rates were like 35 40%, right? So... Mm. Yeah, well, but wouldn't that kind of work out with the crazy inflation? Thirty, because then you're paying back with these crazy inflated pesos. Like even though yeah, the rate is insane, it, like thirty-five to forty percent, but like if the currency, it, it can totally be the case. Right? The issue is that it's a gamble. You never, you never know exactly what you're going to get. But yeah, you may sign up for a you know mortgage at thirty percent, and and then if inflation is fifty percent, you are better off. But but you don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. But, but just to give you an idea, in, in, so we bought a, that property at a 130K, and then in 2008, a year after we came, we sold it at 170. So we still make some, some money you know, in, in a few years, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, so uh, let's move on to a brighter note, maybe. I think we've scared everyone enough. So <laughs> you moved to Canada, uh, when again, sorry, what year? 2007. Okay, and now I know a bit of your story already, um, but from 2007 up until maybe you joined Rockstar or at least got into real estate, I'm not sure if you were into real estate before Rockstar. No, no. No, it was completely here? Okay, Zero. so. I, I had a mental block. I didn't want to know anything about real estate. I, I saw it as something risky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so for 10 years, our plan was basically to save money and whatever we would save, we would invest in more traditional ways. So we put a lot of focus on, you know, making sure that we, we kept our living expenses as little as possible in order to maximize how, man, how much uh, we would save. And for many years, we saved something like 50% of our, our income. Where were you living, sir? Not without sacrifices, right? I'm sure, yeah. yeah. So we were living in a condo in, in Etobicoke. Okay. We had a, a, just one car, an old car. And yeah, we, we really had the focus on saving us as much as possible. Were both you and your wife working? 
at some time it, it was just me because mm -hmm. when my first son was born and the other one a couple of years later so for the first five years we were here and my, yeah my son was born my first son a year after we, we landed in Canada so for about five years my wife uh, just stayed with the kids because mm -hmm. we we wanted that the, we thought that was the, the best for them so that, that means that you know it was only my salary but we still managed to to save quite a lot of money but again not without sacrifices right so we mm -hmm. made a lot of sacrifices when we were you know not that young but we say hey if we want to get ahead uh, here in Canada and we are starting really saving some money now and we are already in our late 30s we better do the things in the right way and try to catch up as much as possible. Was your but plan? I didn't know about real estate at that time, so all my, you know, initially the focus is to save money because when you don't have much money saved, investing doesn't doesn't mean much, right? Because whatever returns is going to be based on a on a small pile. But when we started saving some money and investing in the traditional way with ETFs and mutual funds, and yeah, we were not getting that great of a return, right? So. Was your plan with your wife um, to move to Canada or another country with better opportunity and then start a family? Yeah. That was always your plan? Yeah. Because here you would have been, like you guys were later parents, I guess, I'm realizing now, yeah. if you had your kids here. I didn't know yeah, that. I was, was 40 when my first son was born, yeah. So. Do you think, and this is a personal question, yeah. do you think part of the reason you waited so long was just because of the grind and surviving through Argentina, through that hyperinflation? It is. It is. Man. Yeah. Like at the same time, I made my wife when was or I was already, I think, thirty-three or thirty-four years. Oh, okay, right? so, so you guys I, got together yeah, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, but yeah, it, in Argentina, yeah, we got married. We lived there for a couple of years, but it was unthinkable for us to to have kids then, right? Mm -hmm. When we were struggling so much, and we already had set the plans in place to to immigrate somewhere, right? looking at Canada, Australia at that time, and then and we, we went for Canada, of course, and yeah, yeah, it was. It's, uh, it's so sad, man, because I'll be honest, sad. as um, like I'm 27 now, I've got a long-term girlfriend, you know, we're thinking about getting married soon, and, and I'd like to have kids, and uh, I'm looking around at everything going up in price, I'm like, you know, working my butt off to make ends meet, I'm investing in properties, fortunately, uh, you know, fortunately for sure, I found out about this early, yeah. but I'm thinking about my future. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm just, you know, head down all the time working. Like, how am I going to have kids, you know, and provide the life that I've always wanted to, to have for them or even just the life that I had here, the middle-class kid growing up, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, those are really valid concerns. Yeah. I think that the, the youth hey, all around the world. So in Canada, in Argentina, I know it's even much more difficult for right now to to progress and have opportunities as as, as young as a young person that's mm -hmm. why many people still emigrate to you know here the US Italy Spain whatever right but um, yeah no it, it is a, it is a challenge but I can see also how it's much more difficult for Canadian youth compared to what it was twenty or thirty years ago sure. Yeah. Clear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If Clear. I think about a 27 year old in Argentina, I've got nothing uh, to complain about, to be honest. Yeah, I really don't. So, um, why are Argentinians so good at soccer? <laughs> and congrats on the World Cup, by the way. Thank you. Actually, I was never good at soccer. No? I, I, I played rugby for a few years, but I, I wasn't very skillful at, at soccer. Yeah. But you know what? It's really in the culture. Yeah. So kids play soccer since they are very young. They play for hours just out on the street, 
yeah. really for hours. And mom may shout, hey, you know, lunch is ready. They come, they eat, and then they go back and continue to, to play. Yeah. So when you, when you spend, you know, so many hours from uh, that very young age, yeah, it's, it's just in the... In it, the it, was, it was great to see you guys win. Great for Messi. Like, what a guy. So it was amazing to see that, man. It was good. After 36 years, we finally won again. So that, yeah. that was exciting. Yeah, it was an interesting, you know, championship. I think Argentina was probably the best team. And there were a couple of matches that we didn't really need to suffer that much. <laughs> like we were controlling the, the, the game and we were so much better. And then, boom, you get another two goals and you're again <laughs> yeah. starting That final scratch. was so amazing, that, right? That's got to be one of the best finals of all time. Yeah, yeah it was amazing, but also like, uh, you know, not good for the heart, I would say. Nerve-wracking, I'm Not sure. for the faint of oh heart, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but it was good, it was good, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Canada, for 10 years, you saved 50% of what you could, which is amazing, because it's not like you had a cheap cost of living, living in Etobicoke, and at times, you know, just no, working on the one a, income. We still had a mortgage, and actually we were paying down our the, the mortgage also. We were maxing out contributions to RRSPs, and then TFSAs and even RESPs for wow, for, good for uh, you guys. At man. least maxing the to the level that the government will, will give you the match, right? So it it, it makes sense to 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 match up to there. Well, so we were doing that, and then there, you know, what what was left, we would uh, you know paint down the mortgage, and then slowly when that started to build, we, we started to invest in ETFs and, and mutual funds, right? So what was your goal at the time? early retirement, just get your financial house in order? Did you have a lofty goal? When we started, we say, hey, I hope that by 60 or 65, at least we can retire with some decency. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, uh, you know, we, we started from, from that low point. We say, hey, it's all new, new country. We have to start from scratch. So even that would have been, a, you know, uh, an achievement, I would yeah. say. Uh, then, especially you know, because of real estate investment, we we we, were, we found a, a vehicle to accelerate wealth creation uh, dramatically, which was definitely awesome. But yeah, it, unfortunately, I started only five five and a half years ago. So, <laughs> well, you've had an amazing journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. so let's talk about that. How did you discover Rockstar, and how did you get started? Yeah. So uh, the first encounter I would say or understanding of real estate came from the the book Poor That Rich Dad from yep. Robert Kiyosaki and you know that's the same for many people Everybody, right yeah. that's the same for everyone so to me you know reading that book and then especially the I don't know if it's the second one but cash flow quadrant yeah that hit me really hard. Then there were, I, I think since then, Kiyosaki had a, 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 a million other books. A million other books, and they all say the same. I think they are useless. But those first two, yeah. to me, are, are really game changing. So that really opened my eyes in terms of, okay, I need to start investing seriously and owning assets that will create income and, and give me control instead of just relying on, you know, someone else managing my money. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, and then I saw the power, you know, all the benefits that owning real estate can can bring. Because right? of your condo in Etobicoke. Yeah, so we bought that condo, and but then we, yeah, we sold it in 2011. That then we moved to Milton. We we bought a house in Milton, but all those years we always own, you know, one property at a time and, and with a big mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. So, but again, 2017. Yeah, it was Robert Kiyosaki, but it was also starting to listen to some podcasts and starting to understand what is it that wealthy people do 
how did they achieve what they achieved, right? Because I said, okay, in the way that we are moving forward, sorry, in the way that we are moving forward, I was projecting, uh, you know, um, for whatever reason, uh, I'm a math person, right? I'm an engineer and I think in those terms and I put math on everything. To me, that's, you know, how you should be making decisions, right? Especially financial financial decisions. So I said, hey, we need to find something different. And when I started to learn, you know, what many, not all, but many people would become wealthy investing in real estate. So I said, hmm, there is definitely something there. Uh, I wanna, I wanna know more. Uh, I, at, at that time, I was uh, thinking of real estate as something rare and risky. And I said, oh, I'm probably gonna be the, the, the last fool that gets into <laughs> yeah. the market and then it corrects. <laughs> so I don't wanna deal with tenants. I had my mindset completely off real estate at that time, right? But, but then, yeah, when I started realizing that, okay, there's something that uh, I need to change uh, in how we invest. And we need to take more risk and be a little bit more aggressive. And even if it's calculated risk, right? That's what that was all about, right? Mm-hmm. When you when you invest and you're not really speculating, you're investing. You're trying to you know look at the whole picture and see okay, I'm, and I contain my risk and the upside is higher than much higher than the risk, etc. That's how you should be making a, a investing decisions. So. Uh, yeah, I started uh, educating myself. I would listen to a podcast and somehow don't remember the details. I, I ran into Rockstar Real Estate and started listening to, you know, to Tom and Nick in their videos. And then there was, a, you know, I got an invitation yeah. <laughs> to a, yeah. one of those uh, Your Life, Your your Time event. Yeah, I remember oh, exactly okay. because it was May 2017. Yeah. And no, no one mentioned that to me. So no one invited me. So I'm probably one of the very few people that actually paid like oh, paid for a ticket. Yeah, yeah. 150 bucks or whatever for, for the for the ticket. Yeah, and that so you're on our email list at that time then? Yeah, because yeah. I already did, yeah, I, I was already on the email list for a few months, right? So yeah, yeah so that, that was the beginning of uh, everything, right? So Wow, and then so you signed up with Rockstar at that event? Yeah, yeah okay. I signed up there, I started, you know, coming to all the classes and started to talk to, you know, to the accountant, the lawyer, and most of the resources that... Uh, that were part of the the, the rockstar rolodex right the, yeah. the, let's call it so yeah and, and kept you know listening to podcasts and kept uh, educating myself and yeah so slowly so but so when did you so you, when did you buy your first property and and what was your strategy yeah so uh, at some point in time i almost bought a, a single family a house in in woodstock okay but something inside of me was telling me, okay, just buying a you know, single family and hoping for appreciation, something that's gonna cash flow $100 per month. It, it, it didn't really jive. It said, okay, you know what? I need, I want 5,000. At that time I was thinking maybe to get $5,000, you know, income, passive income. Okay, I would need 50 of those. So that doesn't work. Mm. So we got out of, a, you know, out of that deal at, at the last minute. But I really, I felt that I needed to learn more, you know, a little bit more aggressive strategies that can deliver better cash flow. And then one thing that really 
you know, open my mind a lot is this opportunity of it. Then they call it bear, whatever, but at, at the end, it's it's always the same thing and always existed, right? It's like adding value to a property. Mm-hmm. Adding value by doing the right renovation, maybe by adding a secondary, a secondary suite. And when you add value, then you can refinance the property at a higher amount, and then you can leave, a, a, you can take a lot of money out of that property. You get better cash flow, and because you have less capital in, it boosts the return on that invested capital. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to get that capital that you took out and recycle it to another deal. And okay. rinse and repeat, and rinse and, re- and repeat. And rinse and repeat, right? So so when I when I understand the, the math about that, and that delivering very clearly, you know, 20, 30, 40% return, that type of strategy, I say, okay, I mean, this is what I need to learn. This is what I need to do. And we purchased the first property in uh, November, 2017. It was a triplex in Welland. Okay. Yeah, so um, that was the very first one. The opportunity there to add value and refinance was two units were vacant. So we did the whole renovation. We spent something like 40K, something like that. Uh, I think I, at that time I put like 70K uh, for the down payment. Yeah, because it was 350. So all in, call it, you know, 110 plus calls in 120, whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I was able to, you know, get the tenants, get better rents, etc. And then when I turn around and, and refinance that property, it came, I think it was 450, and I purchased it at 345, I think. So it it was great. And then I, 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 I took a, a lot of money out, and I think I had- So you put 120 eight. in, and then took- Yeah, then when I refinanced, I think I took like 80. Okay. So I was left with only 40K in the deal. Yep. And with good cash flow, I think it was close to $1,000 with the new rents. I said, okay, I, I like this. I'm gonna I'm do sold. all of this. I'm going to do all of, this, wow. all of this, right? And then, you know, as I, I continue to talk to other investors and coaches and, and learn, uh, I found this opportunity of, uh, you know, adding a secondary suite. Mm-hmm. And I run the numbers again. And I say, okay, this is probably even better. And usually you are, you are working with newer properties because sometimes if you buy these old, you know, triplexes and... The one that we bought was probably a 90 or 80 year old property, right? So, but but then uh, to you know to purchase those properties that work as to add a legal uh, secondary suite is usually this bungalow from the 60s or the 70s, so it's a little bit a newer property. And if you can find a property that is really solid, robust, with no water issues, whatever. And you know, you've done this, right? With the right conditions where you can have a, you know, already a, a, a second entrance to the basement. Yep. The ceiling height that you can build is, is good enough. The window wells, all that stuff that, you know, is gonna work for a secondary suite. Boom, that's the type of property that yeah. we, we would find. So we did one early 2018 and it worked really well in terms of refinancing. And then we started doing more, maybe sometimes, uh, two at a time, right? So Wow. And was this all in Welland? All yes. These, these yes. conversions? I, I ended up doing everything in Welland. And the reason for what for, for that is that I had a full time job. At that time my wife also had a full time job. So we needed to make sure that we were very, very focused uh, and learn something that works. And we did. We found the you know a, a location where that strategy was working well and then we say okay blinders blinders on just rinse and repeat just be, go deep on that 
when you have limited time, that's really what I think you need to do. You need to find something that works and then you double down on that. To me, it didn't make sense to get distracted by all shiny objects, right? Oh, student rental in Hamilton or this, that. Yeah, it all can be good, right? But I actually saw, you know, some other investors that maybe they bought one property here, another property there, different strategies, whatever. And then they, they really were, didn't become experts on, on anything. Mm. Especially if you have a full-time job, you just don't have time for that. So I had to be very, very productive with the time that I had. So to me, it was just one market, one strategy. I knew the neighborhoods, I knew the rentals, the rental rates, I knew the price points, I knew the type of property that worked. So it was a matter of uh, you know using that informational advantage to stay on top of the market as something comes up, even before building walls, something comes up, it's good, you know what, we get it, we get an offer, you know, we go see it, we make, we, we make an offer same day. We made offers, my best deals were paying above asking price. How much above? No, actually, uh, I'll give you an example. There was one property that got listed at 350. Those properties were already selling at 400. So this is what happens sometimes. You get a you know a realtor, so it wasn't a rockstar realtor, but someone that doesn't know much or doesn't care and want to make their commission quickly, and they don't advise their customers uh, really well. So they listed and, and with no holding offer, nothing at 350, and the market wasn't as crazy as it became a couple of years later, right? So we say, yeah, you know you. You know, I, I like it. I'm gonna pay you 362, but I need a response right now. The story was that the investor has another property that they are looking, etc. So I want it, but I, I I need it right now, right? So so that was an, an outstanding deal. Yeah, because you knew uh, you still had one. all this equity built in, even though you were overpaying on the exactly price. exactly. That's a, I mean, when they say you make money when you buy. It's not the only way that you that you make money, but there is a lot of truth in that. It sure helps. Because if you can get in, you have that instant equity between what you purchase and the and, and the current price. So that gives a boost of future returns, and that can even be a, a buffer. Uh, you know, if something goes wrong, mm -hmm. you already made that money when you when you purchase it, or it can be a you know also a, a way of staying safer and minimizing risk because let's say that, oh, I, you cannot go in the renovation, whatever, something happened, worst case scenario, and you need to sell it. Maybe you can sell it and break even, right? Instead of losing money. So buying you know, below a market as much as you can, of course, it is great. It's not the only thing that you, that's gonna, you know, give you the all the benefits but you have to start with that if you can for sure right of course in different markets different times that can happen or or, or not right later on with all the bidding wars etc it, it it's just not possible to to do that right but the principle remains right and when the time is right again that's what you should uh, try for and that takes work that takes looking at lots of deals, lots of showings, even placing lots of offers and that don't work, but you never know if it's gonna work or not, right? Mm -hmm. Now, as you started accumulating these homes, were you ever worried about the amount of leverage that you had, the amount of mortgages? How did you feel about that? You know what? No, it, I really had to change my, my mindset and understand that there is good depth, as Robbie Kiyosaki said, right? There is good depth, which is depth that is you know, leveraging 
assets. Are we okay with time and everything? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just okay. want It's a great okay. conversation. I okay. want to make sure I don't press any buttons here and ruin okay. it. <laughs> so that's why I keep looking. Yeah. So uh, if you have debt that is going to finance a, bench, a venture, like investing in real estate, that's going to deliver significantly more in return compared to what it costs, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that, I said, okay, just give me all the debt that I can take <laughs> yeah. as long as I have the cash the, flow. The, exactly. But as long as I have the deals that pay for it, then it's a, it's a no brainer. Yeah. And we took a lot of uh, money. Uh, uh, and at that time I wasn't very sophisticated. I was just doing my thing. I was qualifying based on my nice T4 basically and good credit score. So I got all a lenders uh, mortgages for, for many, many years. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The, the so did your strategy change there? Oh, sorry. Yeah, one thing that I, that I missed to mention. Yeah. At some point in time, we realized that, hey, if we want to use this strategy and we, we need and we want to do maybe a couple of deals at that time. And, you know, you have to put the money for the down payment plus the renovation. I needed to access some some money. Where do I get that money? So we put a HELOC in our principal residence. Okay. That's, that was really probably most of how this started. Yeah, then I kept, you know, my job and bringing more money. But the the first big swing at the bat was really with borrow money too, because it was money from our HELOC, mm-hmm. which at that time all, all interest was <laughs> very, very low, right? Yeah. yeah the HELOC's always a little bit more than a regular mortgage, but it was still worth it when you can find a, a strategy that's going to give you 30% plus return. Yeah. And with these high cash flow numbers, like let's say that the thousand dollar example, you could cover the HELOC, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So you said, um, when you started out, you weren't sophisticated. You were just accessing a lenders. Did that change at a certain point where you, you changed up your financing strategy, became more sophisticated, became a little bit more sophisticated, but I would say for the most part, we still invested pretty much with a lender, uh, financing. Okay. Actually it's not bad because usually those are the best deals, right? You get a, a lower, lower interest rate, but so were you playing with private money or B lenders? Yeah, a couple a couple of times I use uh, private money, mm-hmm. and also from my own RRSPs, I had a chance to lend two times, uh, you know, uh, my, my money to to other investors that benefit them, and it's gonna benefit me, but in the future, right? Because that money, you know, what it's an investment that is registered, so all the payment goes back to the to the to the that account, right? Was this through like an Olympia Trust? Olympia Trust. Olympia yeah. we Trust. Move, we move money to Olympia Trust, and from there I, I I landed, yeah. Where you can do arms length private mortgages, and then you did yeah. did you do that with somebody you knew that you met in the investor community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of okay. times with different people, but yeah. Also so someone you met had a good reputation, earned your trust to be able to use the money yeah. wisely. At, at the end, it's like any private uh, lending. Yeah. But I didn't do it with money outside my registered funds because I wanted to use all that on my deals that will return better. But this was a registered amount, right, from our RSPs. So then, no matter if it's from a registered account or not, at the end, the principles are always the same, right? You want to invest, you want to make sure that you are careful in terms of loan to value, how much you get to, especially if it's, it's normally a second mortgage, right? Yeah. So you wanna, don't want to get to over maybe 80, 85%, and you want to make sure that, the, the, that there is an appraisal, you want to feel safe, right? That, mm-hmm. hey, if something goes wrong, I'm still going to get my, my money back, right? Maybe yeah. not the, the, the extra returns, but at least the, the capital is protected. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, we were talking about mindset. 
And you said at a certain point, your mindset completely shifted. And that's really how you were able to accomplish everything you have in real estate. Yeah. How and when did that mindset shift? And what were some of those, the thoughts that you maybe transformed? Yeah, I would say at this, you know, in parallel to me looking for different ways to invest that will get a, a better return. I probably also went through a little bit of a midlife uh, crisis okay. where I, I, I felt that I didn't have the passion that I had in the, you know, in the past and everything started to feel a little bit repetitive and there were a lot of, uh, you know, fears that were holding me from living life to my, to my fullest, right? Uh, was this one mean? of those fears was also like losing whatever we accumulated so far, right? In terms of, of savings, that's why I was so afraid initially of uh, investing in real estate, right? Until I educated myself and, and saw the, the, the potential benefits. Uh, but then I also realized very quickly that investing in real estate, even if it's conceptually very simple, the numbers are very simple, that doesn't make it easy especially if you are going for more value-added strategies where you have to deal with you know, a big renovation, you have to deal with contractors, then everyone has to deal with tenants. And you know how if you don't deal with tenants, if you don't find the right tenants, etc., cetera, uh, you're going to struggle. Uh, so I, I realized that I had to, as I was undergoing problem after problem, and luckily I didn't give up, I realized that, hey, I need to work on my mindset to build more resilience and to be able to make decisions faster and smoother and, you know, deal with people in the, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the right way, with the right confidence. So I realized that in parallel, I had to invest in, in, in myself. Because if not, it, it just wouldn't work. And uh, 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 at some point in time, uh, uh, we struggled because, you know, we got into these uh, renovations and the very first uh, duplex conversion, the contractor we hired, the GC, was a, was a disaster, right? So the project ended up lasting for a full year, the reno. I had to switch GC in the middle. It cost me, you know, 25% more than, <laughs> than what I expected. So it was a complete shit show. But <laughs> you know what? It's, it's a matter of, of realizing that, hey, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. I always love when Nick says, hey, whoever deals with more shit wins. Yeah. It's so true. To me, it's so philosophical. It seems like it's just, <laughs> it's a, just a simple saying, but yeah. you know what? Uh, there is some philosophy. It's a very that, blunt right? philosophical exactly. saying. Yeah. And I think Nick is also basically saying, okay, deal with shit and don't give up. Because if you deal more shit, that means that you you keep going and you keep doing and you keep learning and, and then yeah. you build that resilience and you learn. So then you are you, you are better analyzing the next deal, better structuring the deal, better dealing with when you, when problems comes again. Hopefully mm-hmm. if you learn something, then the problems may be a new problem that you, you're not expecting. Yeah. Okay, that's, you have to see that as an opportunity to learn that so that then you, you, you become better on the, on the next deal, right? It is a... It is a, a, a progression, uh, and one thing that really struck me uh, from the very beginning uh, is that real estate is, is is normally very discreet. You know how think about something that is learning how to bat in baseball or whatever. You have to do the reps. Mm-hmm. You have to do the thing, 
consistently and then you're gonna learn and you're gonna get better. In real estate, that concept of doing the reps, I believe it is very difficult because the reps would be like, okay, do a bunch of deals and learn from those. But mm-hmm. hey, to do a deal, you need to find the deal, you need money, then you need to deal with all the struggles. So it's very difficult to have a lot of deals or, or it takes time, let's say, to have a lot of deals under your belt to be able to say, okay, I did the reps and I, I, I learned from that. Mm-hmm. So many people getting, I see this all the time, people that have, you know, maybe just invested in one property or two properties, or they know about someone that invested in one or two properties, and they are really extrapolating from a very small sample of events that is not statistically significant. Sorry, that's the engineer in me. <laughs> it's not statistically yeah. significant when you are basing your decision on just a couple of deals. So someone has a, you know, buy a first property, everything goes well. Well, they feel super high, they start taking risks that they shouldn't be taking and they just go for the next deal, not thinking that it's gonna be a slam dunk and then they hit the wall, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that first deal that when everything went uh, well, it, it wasn't enough to generalize that it's always gonna be like that. So then they make the mistake in the second deal or they make the mistake in, a, in, the, in the third deal, right? But many people, okay, because of the experience of a relative or themselves, what happened in one property, maybe with one tenant or one renovation, they say, okay, it's enough, that's not for me. This sucks, I'm never gonna do it again. I say, okay, dude, it's, no, you, you didn't give yourself enough time to learn this business and learn from your mistakes. Mm. And the one thing that uh, that to me is clear is that uh, everyone struggles in real estate. If you want to do it right and get the, the best returns, you are going to struggle. And you know what? I learned to be comfortable with that. You have to learn that, hey, that that's what it is. That's how you really learn when you struggle and you have to solve that problem. So when people tell me about their struggles, whatever I said, I, I don't see it as a, 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 a something negative. So yeah. That's awesome. So what did you learn from it? Right? If you can spin it in the, in the right way, that will give you, you know, more, more knowledge and more confidence for, for the next deal. But many people, unfortunately, give up too soon. Mm-hmm. That's the reality, right? You, you, you may know, you may meet a lot of people that, uh, you know, uh, there is definitely something there, but you have to have the, the patience and the courage to get through all the shit and, and get to the, others, to the other side. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so usually that, there's more shit waiting people. for you on the other side too. Yeah. The maybe, shit never runs out. Dif- different shit, right? Because if you want to <laughs> do another shit. deal and maybe even a bigger deal, you're going to run into a lot of other stuff that, and you know what? You have to be comfortable uh, understanding that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you are going through that shit, it doesn't feel okay, right? <laughs> yeah. But, but, but you have to you know, be able to step back out and, and it's all a mind game, right? And, and realize that, okay, you know what? What is it that I can learn here by solving this problem that I would never learn just studying theory or listening to podcasts, whatever. You really learn when you when you do stuff, right? That's when you really learn something, right? So you have to understand that, yeah, this is a, it is positive that you have in, run into a problem, even if it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And then you have to, you know, do it again. You have to continue, right? You don't have to give up. I think that's the main killer for, for many new investors. It's just giving up too soon. Mm. Which is unfortunate, but you 
honestly, you, you see it all the time. I even was talking to a, a friend uh, yesterday, right? That they bought a couple of properties, they got excited, and then I realized that they said, okay, now I'm tired of dealing with tenants, whatever, we, 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 we sold them. We don't wanna, that, that's, not, that's not for us. Okay. Dude, at least, but, but at the time, you know, they, their ego didn't allow them to ask for help. Mm. Right? Yeah. They were talking about real estate, how awesome it is, what they were doing it, but then when shit hit the fan, they just didn't look for the right help and they gave up. Mm. So, so it, it happens a lot. Now, it seems like you were, you had a lot of forced growth doing deal after deal, going through the reps, dealing with the shit, moving on, dealing with more shit. Yeah. How else were you investing in yourself to build this resilient mindset? Yeah, so uh, reading books, to me, it's a must. Watching videos uh, that are inspirational, uh, but not just inspirational, but more with concrete uh, strategies in terms of how you how, how you can work with your mind, right? And how, how you can get better. But I, I read a lot of books, a lot of the books that that Nick and, and Tom recommended, plus others, and, and I got a lot from, from those books. Uh, but to me, the most important is that you cannot just read one book and then move to the next book. You gotta read a book, maybe you, then you have to highlight it, you have to reflect on it, you have to say, okay, how, even if it's like, what little piece of this book am I actually going to apply? Mm -hmm. Because if not, the, the learning doesn't happen. It's a little bit of a superficial uh, learning, but it doesn't it's, penetrate. Not really, it's not really gonna change how you how you operate right yeah. so through all those books i learned a lot about you know what tom and nick call about the neuroscience of uh, of success and how uh, basically the way that you think is going to determine your whole life so there is a lot of steps and a lot of meat on on that concept that i mentioned but the reality is that everything starts in in, in your mind right so how you think about things, events, it matters a lot mm -hmm. because it's your interpretation of what has happened and the implications for the future that matter. And everyone has an interpretation of what happened. No one has an objective, uh, you know, oh, this is exactly what happened. No, you know what, what happened is it's just an event, but the interpretation that you give to that event in your mind is gonna matter and it's gonna matter a lot. So if you run into some problems and you let those problems, you know, pull you down or drive you, you know, more fear in you, whatever, then you're done. You're never gonna, you're never gonna move ahead, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, the you events. have the right vision and you see, you know, yourself, you know, with, with certain skills and applying those skills and that is gonna, that type of, you know, mindset is gonna translate into you doing things uh, differently and doing things differently is gonna translate into, into results, into different results, right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 the one thing that I realized when I started, you know, working on my mind is that, hey, for many years I, may, I, I, I was doing things probably almost in the same way, right? I was keeping myself more in a, in a, in a comfort zone and trying to play itself but I wasn't progressing. So something needed to change. And, and that's where I really understood the concept of that, you know, the, the comfort zone, I don't know if you heard that, but the comfort zone mm -hmm. is actually the most dangerous zone. 
but we naturally want to stay within the comfort zone because we want to play it safe. And actually, why? Because we're just stubborn? No, it's biological. It's like if you see how our mind and how we evolve as a species, I mean, our subconscious is trying to keep us safe, mm -hmm. which is fine because it's, it's basically thinking about not thinking what it's based on our survival right well, maximizing yeah. our chance to sur to survive but all our basic needs are covered we are, are covered right now where we we you know we we are still gonna be alive right so i think that is naturally you know pulling pulling us down and until you don't understand that hey you need to get out of your comfort zone which is by definition not nice sometimes to be able to learn and to grow Mm -hmm. That's essential. So for me, understanding some of those concepts and saying, hey, you know what, I, it truly is, it's all going to depend on how I think and how I interpret the reality. And by thinking in a certain way and doing certain things is how you start impressing those behaviors on, you know, in your subconscious and how you change your, your habits. You probably heard this term that, uh, you know, about 95% of what we do is habitual. Mm -hmm. So we may be thinking on something, but, but then when something happens, we are emotional beings and our subconscious usually takes over and the decisions are made out of there. So if you think that, hey, we have a conscious mind, we can think about a new concept, we think we learn something, whatever, but still 95% of what we do so results are going to be a result of what we do. If 95% of what we do is habitual and doesn't change, then there is no wonder that the results are repeating itself forever, right? So it's a matter of, you know, working on your mind, impressing new thoughts, new learning, repeating, and, and, and trying to get that subconscious to change so that then you, you start acting differently. You start you know, every day doing things that you were not doing before. That's going to benefit you. We talk about wealth, but the reality is that it's relationship, it's health related, it's, it's everything, right? It's everything really that, that matters in, in life that you can work on and improve yourself by doing things in, in a different way. But that starts by changing that uh, mindset, right? And what's embedded in your subconscious that is going to drive that habitual behavior that, that you want to change, right? So. Did you find that the other aspects of your life that you just mentioned, your relationships, your everything. health, everything yeah. improved yeah. at the same time that you started really going down this journey of personal development? Completely, Anthony. To the point that I can tell you right now, hey, the, the best thing that happened to me about uh, real estate it's not just the result of real estate, but it's who I needed to become, the different person that I needed to become to do what I wanted to do. And, and then, you know, since that time, I probably lost, uh, you know, uh, uh, 10 kilos. I feel, you know, I, I have more passion. I have more energy. But that comes from, you know, exercising more. That comes from eating differently. It really comes from understand from from doing things differently there's one one uh, i sh just came to my mind there's one book author that is a uh, fantastic i really love him it's a uh, bob proctor and bob proctor once said something that initially I, I couldn't understand until i think about it says oscar so people know what they need to do to improve in any aspect of of, of your life right so it's not that people don't know what they need to do 
the majority of people have a pretty good idea of what they should be doing. But they don't do it. And the main problem is that they don't know why they don't do it. Okay? I know I struggle with that initially, so, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but again, it's like, okay, people know what they need to do. Mm -hmm. But people don't, know, don't do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And the problem really lies in the fact that people do not know why they don't do what they need to do. Can you give me an example of how you caught yourself in maybe the same mindset trap? Yeah. So, so for example, uh, I think this could be related to me or many people that are yeah. trying to lose some weight, right? So you know what you need to do. You know, you kind of know what is the, the healthy food choices that, that you have to make, yeah. right? And you think that you commit yourself to doing it. But, but then let's say that you don't want to eat bread or candy or whatever, but you still keep the, the candy and the bread in, in your house, right? Well, you know what? When you are in a positive state of mind, whatever, I said, yeah, I said, I'm not going to eat bread. Perfect. But you are, you're not like that every single day. Mm -hmm. We have our natural ups and downs. So what you want to do is to work around so that when you have that downtime where you don't give a damn about anything, whatever, and then you just grab that piece of food that is tasty and you love it, even if you, you know it's not good for your health, but mm -hmm. it doesn't care. That is a very freeing feeling, though. I don't give a damn. I'm eating it. <laughs> exactly. That is nice, right? Until but, but, like but, 10 minutes later, you're like, ah, but, but I'm it weak. But it happens. I mean, when you are in those down points, you are going to do things that are stupid and Yeah, you if don't you're care. fatigued, your willpower is run down, sure. Exactly. Yep. But, but if you pro protect yourself, for example, by not doing uh, by not having the food that you shouldn't be eating so that when you're craving for that it's just not there it would be too difficult to go and purchase it somewhere else it yeah. just takes time so you're likely going to stick to what you committed right mm -hmm. or you want to you know go out and run in the in the morning and yeah okay you know what if you make it difficult and you have to think and make a decision no just do it automatically you say okay i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna put my you know your, your tennis yeah, have your running you, shoes you set up there. by the door you just put them and you go out and then you start thinking about life right you don't wake up and ponder what are you gonna yeah. do so make it easy for yourself exactly exactly yeah. so yeah yeah it's, it's very interesting to me because your mindset now is so resilient. It's very impressive to listen to you and, and the mindset you've developed. But this has only been in the past five years. Like I would have had to imagine you had a lot of this before, you know, like when yeah. you were a dad, like you had been through a lot of a life experience still. But really, it was the last five years where you feel like you accelerated. I feel that the last five years, I really changed my life uh, a lot. A lot. And sometimes you know how you we hear that, hey, you cannot, or, or, or you probably heard this saying that people usually overestimate how much you can achieve in a year, which is totally true because a year is not a lot of time if you want to make some fundamental change. But at the same time, people underestimate how much you can do in five years. And actually, I really think that, you know, five years is a, it's a big chunk of time. It's a lot of days. <laughs> so... Uh, in five years, you can change your life completely. Yeah, you're at, living at, proof at, of at, that. At any age. I truly believe that. I know that anyone can do it, right? But, but you have to understand that, yeah, you, you can be a completely different person and hopefully, you know, healthier and wealthier and with a different mindset and happier. Uh, but it takes some time. 
it takes some consistency, right? In, 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 it takes, at least in my case, going to that source and understanding, okay, how our mind operates is going to lead to the mindset you have, the actions you take, the results you get, etc. And working consistently on that mindset by, you know, reading books, going to seminars, talking to people, listening to podcasts, start questioning, okay, what, how do I feel about this, etc. But if it works for this person, maybe I should give it a try and actually try it. It takes going through, through that uh, process and it doesn't happen overnight. For sure, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. How we change our subconscious, it, I think it's a, it's a, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? If every single day you move the needle a little bit, after a big chunk of days, you are gonna see the, the results. It's really interesting that real estate investing was the catalyst yeah. for all of this change in all other areas of your life. And I actually feel a similar way. Like when I f met the very first real estate investor in my life, she was full-time investor living off of her property's income. I was 20 years old, I knew nothing about real estate. She gave me Rich Dad Poor Dad to read and she really completely changed my life. She yeah. taught me about refinancing properties and all this stuff. But really it gave me so much hope for my future because it's funny you mentioned the yeah. midlife crisis. I felt like I was going through a quarter life crisis <laughs> when I was in my early 20s because I was like trying to figure out what I was going to do and I didn't want to go down the corporate route. I wanted a small business. I didn't know what I could, you know, what that business would be. I didn't really see any opportunity in front of me until I met this woman who showed me, you know, it's e like you can just buy a rental property, rent it out, pull out money, buy a rental property, rent it out, pull out money. And that was the simple formula. There's so many other strategies and all that type of stuff, but it gave me so much hope for my future and it really gave me a purpose. Yeah. Okay, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because it's gonna open up the world to me. Exactly. With the but financial it, it took, backing. It took time and effort. It 100%. took you to, okay, understand that strategy, reflect on that strategy, start applying it and learning, and I'm sure you, you know, you, you run into a lot of uh, shit like uh, every investor does. And actually what I realized is that if you talk to a successful investor, then they're gonna look back and say, yeah, I didn't enjoy it at that time, but they, they will actually feel proud about you yes. know, their struggles and how much they, they learn from that. And they, uh, uh, and they will feel good about talking about those and, and helping others with, with yeah. that, right? So it, it's amazing. Another thing I didn't understand when I was younger, you know, teenager, early 20s, was to, how to build confidence. And it seems so simple now. It's like, like to have confidence in yourself, you have to trust yourself, like yeah. in confidence. Like that's the meaning of confidence. Like I'm confident in myself. I trust that I can do this. And no one had, I feel like had ever explained, or maybe I wasn't paying attention that it's like, oh, you need to trust yourself. So you need to put yourself in situations that you don't think you can overcome and then overcome them exactly. because that's how Outside you slowly build trust control. in yourself. And that's because I always wonder like, why, how does this person have confidence? Maybe I'm not as confident, you know, like why, like, are you just born with it? And you know, maybe some of that could be chalked up to narcissism, you know, like some people fake confidence at times, right. To have con like they make it seem like they have competence, but um, I never understood how you could truly build like core real confidence. And it was just trusting yourself. It's trusting yourself and then having the courage to act on it. Yeah. And then you start doing the reps, right? And then when you do the reps and then you, you learn something and then that confidence uh, 
builds itself itself and it's gonna exude out of you but uh, but you have to do it it's like confidence comes by you know from from confidence from doing right and mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and getting results and yeah. then yeah, like no. if you're confident in someone else it's like i'm confident my girlfriend will be there for me if i need her i'm confident my parents will support me i'm confident my employee will get the job done because they've earned my trust it's really just trust yeah yeah it's trust and also a little bit of faith right taking that leap of faith that that hey you know what this works for others it's gonna work for me it's gonna feel uncomfortable but that's fine i'm gonna throw myself there i'm gonna learn i'm gonna adjust etc right but but you keep going yeah to me the key is to keep going right to keep pushing yourself out of the comfort zone and being comfortable with being uncomfortable which sounds silly but but that's the reality. Yeah. It's really how 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 can you build, how can you be comfortable by being uncomfortable? Because when you get to that point, and I think I made some progress, but I'm not completely there. I think the sky is the limit. It's just you're unstoppable. Yeah, so. amazing, Sergio. Um, I want to get into some of the more real estate stuff yep. now because people are going to be interested. Okay, how did you keep growing the portfolio? So you did this strategy, rinsed and repeat in Welland. What else did you get into into Canada before we kind of move on to the Dominican Republic here? Yeah, so so we did that for maybe three years. It worked uh, really well, and we were doing one of these conversions. You know, probably four or five per year, right? So we sold a few, but we still have a we still have a quite a few. So um, yeah, so that. If that strategy, those numbers worked extremely well for a few years. But then when, when I got to early 2021, I was struggling to make the numbers work. I mean, it's all relative in life, right? so at least to make the numbers work as good as it was a couple of years earlier. Yeah. Because all the properties that we purchased that never went over 400K, then suddenly they were starting to be 550, 600, right? So to make the numbers work in terms of cash flow and return on investment, and then you have to hope that depreciation is gonna be really high to be able to put the money out, it started to feel very tight. So that's when I said, you know what? I think Wayland had a, a run, it's still worth for us, but for new deals at these new prices, and you know, with prices outpaced, the, even if rents kept going up, mm-hmm. the, you know, prices went up much more than rent. And yeah, the rent end, always lags behind because of the, the rent control. Exactly, so because of that, no, not even that, not even for rent control, but even for new rents, even okay. if it, even if it was increasing mm-hmm. maybe five, 10% a year, well, property prices were appreciating much more than that. Mm-hmm. So then when you run the numbers, it's not such a good deal if you have that, that relationship between, you know, the rents and the price completely screw up, right? So uh, I started to see, okay, where can I apply this same strategy? where the rents are still decent, but the, the property prices are, are lower. And I look at other places in, in Ontario, and the one thing that, I, that that really struck me is that all Ontario was getting a little bit uh, warm, I would say, at that time. But what we were doing, investing in Wayland, is uh, an hour away from where we live. So we, we, were, we were still able to manage it. Mm-hmm. If I have to invest in Ontario, you know, somewhere else, like London or Windsor, or whatever, then I'm not gonna be able to do the same thing that I was doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I would have to start relying on more on a property manager and manage the property at a distance. Uh, and that was another barrier that we hit and I was really afraid of, okay, how can I apply that formula somewhere else? But then I said, okay, you know what, if I'm gonna invest three hours from Toronto driving, maybe I can invest somewhere else if the numbers are, are, are better. 
even if it's flying, right? And if I can structure it in a way where I can find, you know, the right team and, and, mm-hmm. and everything, I don't need to be there, right? I can still manage the property with the right people. I can still see deals through videos, etc., and, and still make decisions. So that's when we look at the different markets with better financials. We look at Atlantic Canada, we look at Calgary, and we decided to put the focus on Calgary. So that was early 2021, where not a lot of people were looking at Calgary because Calgary came from a big slam for, 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 many, for many, many years. But they found, hey, the numbers work. <laughs> the numbers work. And so was the slump in Calgary work. caused by the no, that's oil? Slump, yeah, yeah, mainly the, the oil and gas. Yep. So Al- Alberta had a situation where that was really, you know, they went a very different path than probably anywhere else in Canada in terms of real estate, where we would see appreciation everywhere until 2020, but not in Calgary. I think Calgary even had some prices even even go down, right? Or stay flat for 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 many many years. Basically driven by the you know the the, the issues that they, they run in the, the the oil and gas industry mm-hmm. many many five years ago, etc. That resulted in you know high vacancy rates, lots of uh, you know office buildings, especially commercial property with very high vacancy rate. They really went for we you know uh, very very rough times. But then oil and gas was starting to come, but most importantly, the Calgary economy started to diversify, bringing more technology companies. So it started to attract a lot of you know young people, students uh, to their universities, etc. A lot of investment. So I saw some interesting trends, and the numbers work. I said, hey, actually, what I learned from Calgary or even Wellan is, and I'm trying to apply the same right now, is like. You have to do things right in terms of making sure that the numbers of the deal work without considering appreciation, right? Just, just to be conservative. But if you can, if you can combine doing the the right deal with strong financials, in a, if you can combine that with, by doing it in a market where the trends are positive and point towards very likely a, a chance of appreciation, then you get the best of, of both worlds. Because you know, okay, the deal is going to work by itself, even if there is no appreciation. But if there is appreciation, you know, with appreciation, we investors can make a lot of equity, right? Mm-hmm. It ends up being in the long term, maybe where, where, how you make most of the, the money. money yeah. But at the same time, it's interesting that, you know, if you want to do things right and you don't want to speculate and you want to truly invest, you shouldn't be factoring any market appreciation in your numbers. Mm-hmm. Anyone that tells you otherwise, yeah, they're just trying to sell you something. But the reality is that the numbers of the deal should work without any appreciation because you don't know if appreciation is going to happen. Mm-hmm. If it's, you are in a market where it likely happen, okay, so there is a high chance, which is good. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't happen, the deal still works. Yeah. Even if the market corrects, well, if the, if the numbers work and the property carried itself, it's going to carry itself through bad times. I'm just going to wait it out. Yeah, you're wait, investing wait from a, exactly. a stable point exactly. of safety. Exactly. But when you can combine a good deal in a good market, it's it's completely game changing, right? So, yeah. Okay. So you started buying out in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, we, so we purchased, uh, in the, so the strategy changed a little bit in terms of we, we found really good numbers in some type of property and we didn't have to go through all the, the hassle of the, the renovation right, and the conversion, right? So we purchased four duplexes that they all ha- came, you know, with tur- turnkey with a, with a secondary suite. Okay. So a two-story, nice three-bedroom upper unit with a one-bedroom apartment 
600, 650 square feet, but really nicely done with nine foot ceilings, with nice window wells, really nice property, right? Yeah. So, hey, we did one, it worked well. We did another. <laughs> and another, did you hire a property manager team. to find tenants? Uh, yes. Yeah. In, in the case of Calgary, we completely outsourced the, that, that part of the- So you did your due diligence, looked at a few companies, yeah, 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 yeah. I think like everything in life you really learn by doing. So I, I, I feel good that in the case of Welland, we always manage the properties ourselves. And we found the tenants ourselves, except now that we're living in the Dominican Republic, right? We had to pivot a little bit there. But initially, and even Tom and Nick mentioned that, like, I mean, it's, it's not bad for you to do it the first few years or the first few days because you can really learn what it takes. So mm -hmm. when you really know that, then you are better prepared to outsource that to a property manager. So yeah. at least I had that benefit. And I, I was able to, you know, vet the different companies and select someone that I, I think these guys know what they are doing. Yeah. And not that they just talk nicely and they fool me, right? <laughs> With yeah. nice marketing. So yeah, so that, that helped me from that point of view. But yeah, all Alberta, we did it from day one, we, you know, with a property manager. And it's awesome because there is some cash flow. All our cash flow in our properties because, because we have a, we ended up with variable rates has reduced, okay, but they're still cash flow positive and it's zero hassle. It's like, you know, I, I, it takes almost no time. So we said, hey, this is fantastic. We were really hard to, to get to this point. Uh, and we, I was envisioning that, you know, when, when we get to that, that point, I can start making some big changes in my mind, such as uh, leaving my full-time job to be able to go full-time into real estate, which is something that I did just now, right? Since I, I quit my job in yeah. in December. So, um, yeah, it, it really, you know, gave us a lot of, uh, it really gave me the confidence to be able to say, okay, now I'm gonna go full-time and I'm gonna do much more because I, you know, sometimes I like to say that money is a problem it's a problem for you know for a lot of people so this is a way of kind of like solving a problem it's just a money problem right you mm -hmm. solve that money problem and then you can you know focus, focus on other areas and other stuff and think about the future and growing and taking more risks because you know that your day-to-day -day is covered by the income that you already generated right so mm -hmm. okay so then the dominican so you start on this journey so you bought one place there you've been living there and Tell me about your other place that you just got built. Yeah, so we, we bought the, the first property in uh, May 2022. Uh, that was a two-bedroom villa in a, in a nice gated community, one of the nicest uh, gated communities. So this is in the north coast of the Dominican Republic. Uh, it's a, co a province called Puerto Plata. And actually, Puerto Plata is the closest city. And there is an airport. Uh, there is an airport where you can fly from many places, right? Even from here, from Toronto, there are many places, many many flights per week, right, to to Puerto Plata. Of course, it doesn't have the same frequency as Punta Cana, but 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 it's still sizable. So yeah, so we bought that uh, property at the beginning of 2022 when we started looking for alternatives to invest outside of Canada. And as I mentioned, the things that were happening in Canada were one of the reasons why we started to look to continue investing outside of Canada, but it wasn't the only re the, the only reason. At the same time, we said, hey, if we can buy a vacation property in a, in a place that we really like, and that, that property pays for itself or even give, give us some money, but it also gave us the chance to you know learn that market and the chance for us to go and spend 
time. Mm-hmm. That's that's really how how it started. We were not thinking of going and living there at all. <laughs> uh, that that started to happen more, you know, after we purchased that property ar- around 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 mid year. Okay. So we bought this two bedroom in a nice gated community, and then shortly after we bought a lot in the same gated community, and then we hired a builder, uh, you know, to to build a a larger villa, a three bedroom villa that was completed uh, by by December. So we're living there since uh, January first. So was it just the lifestyle that you were experiencing in Dominican that made you think, holy smokes, this is pretty good. (laughs) Can we make this full time? I mean, at the end, you know, I I always like to say that, yeah, real estate or whatever, but it's not about money. I mean, money is a problem that you need to solve and leave behind, but life is not about money. And if you stay focused on, you know, just making money and you don't look at the other aspects of, of, of your life, you're gonna feel miserable. Uh, it starts getting right? very sad. It's a very yeah. sad picture. Exactly, know? exactly. So uh, it's not about money. It's really about time. Yes. It's really about you know having the money or generating that income that allows you to you know to get back your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my case, it was uh, leaving my my full my my full time job. Actually, a job that I really like at a great company with a great team. It wasn't easy for me to finally quit because everything was really, really good at my job, right? But it's just that, you know, over the last year or so, when I started, you know, fo- developing these plans and, go- and and thinking about going full time and setting in action all the plans that would allow us to do it and the plan to move to the Dominican, etc. When I started to have all that in, in my mind, uh, I started not enjoying my job as I as I did in the past because it already had kind of like a, an, an expiration date, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I said, hey, I'm, this is a travesty, right? I'm spending still most of my energy and time in my job when I really want to do something else. So that's why, yeah, I I, I I realized that okay, I had to you know had to leave my job but it's all about gaining that uh, time mm-hmm. to create a better lifetime for you and your family yeah so why we picked the dominican republic it was a decision based on lifestyle because we truly you know after we did our research and then we can get into more detail if you want but we saw a lot of uh, positives in in an area where uh, you know the, the weather of course is fantastic the geography is fantastic the communities is is awesome because there are a lot of foreigners living in that area communities like the one we live probably 90 percent of the people are foreigners right it's full of canadians americans lots of europeans also some people from from south america so and safe it's actually very safe. Yeah. If you compare the Dominican Republic right now with other places like Mexico, it's it's day and night, right? It's much safer. You don't, you don't see the you know the, the the police or the army walking down the beach or the road, right? Just to create that sensation of of, of security, right? As yeah. it happens in in Mexico, unfortunately. I hope it turns around at some point in time. But in the Dominican right now, it's very safe. You don't see a lot of police presence, and you don't hear about things happening other than the opportunity crime right yeah if you have a house that is not on a gated community and it's yeah and you're not living there for a while this vacant yeah you eventually they may break in or they may steal your car yeah stuff happens 
but right now it's pretty okay. Okay. Especially outside the, lar- the large cities, right? In the large cities, it's a, there is a little bit more crime. Sure. But in this area, so far, it's, it's very safe. Uh, and what I think it helps a lot is also the, the fact that the, the economy there is booming. The last 20 years or so is one of the fastest growing economies in all Latin America and, and Caribbean. What's it being driven by? I think in part is foreign investment. Really, I mean, there is a lot of money coming to to the island for all sorts of investment, including, you know, for for real estate uh, development, right? So that money is really, you know, helping the economy, which instead helps create more jobs. And when you have people that are getting a little bit better, even if it's still a relatively poor country, right? But if people are better and they have jobs, etc., there is less crime. incentive for crime, right? Mm-hmm. So that pattern. That's what I was telling before, even in Argentina when I was a kid, crime was very low, especially in a city like Buenos mm-hmm. Aires. You saw the opposite Well, th- that, that changed. That doesn't mean that right now if you go to Buenos Aires, it's going to be unsafe everywhere. No, mm-hmm. but, but some places, yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's why I think it helps with, with, the, with the safety situation. Okay. So it's on the up and up and uh, predominantly. And you know how uh, it's all about trends, right? So w- when you see those positive trends, you want to try to... To ride them. To, to, to ride them, right? So, yeah. What language is predominantly spoken there? Spanish? It's Spanish, yeah. Okay. How much? But again, because there are so many foreigners, English is also very, very common. So you right? could get by with English. Yeah, you can get by with English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've been there for how long now? Uh, I've been going back and forth since, you know, mid-2022. Mm-hmm. But now since uh, late December, I full time. I just moved full-time. Right? And, in the and new my family has been there since last summer. Okay. So my wife and kids, so that my kids started school uh, there. And actually, I didn't mention that, but because there are so many foreigners, there are actually three private schools. Different styles of schools, but three private schools with English education and with a program that mimics the, the U.S. program and is accredited in the U.S., so when we realized that, okay, we can bring our kids here and they're going to have a, a good experience uh, and probably even better than, now I'm realizing even better than another year in a public school in Ontario, <laughs> really. So they, they are going to a great school. They are exposed to, you know, kids from families from all over the world. Mm. It's a much more entrepreneurial environment and... Yeah, it's, it's been a much better experience. Are they enjoying actually. it? They are enjoying it, yeah. So yeah. especially one of them, my 12-year-old, is absolutely loving it. Yeah. He's absolutely loving it because uh, now in that, that community, he has a lot of friends and he's out all the time with his bicycle for hours, right? He comes from school, he gets a, a snack, and he's out playing in the you know in the soccer field the playground the the swimming pool riding bike with their friends and they are as long as they stay well they, they do stay within the the community right they wouldn't let them go out it's super safe i feel super safe anywhere they are i know they are in their friend's house and i, I know most of the the friends and, and their parents so yeah it's pretty safe my other son who is a uh, you know 14 years old he's struggling a little bit more to adapt Mm-hmm. But now, we, now it's much better. At the, be- yeah. at the beginning, he didn't want anything to do with. Was it know, just with his friends? Idea. He had reached the age where he established mainly, a I friend think it's group. Mainly, he, he, his friends, and also the fact that for them, even if my wife and I, you know, live in different places, for them, the last eleven years, uh, we always live in the same house, same neighborhood, kind of the same two schools. So their life was that. 
and they didn't know anything, anything else, else, right? Yeah. So from that point of view, it was a big change Massive for them. Massive change, yeah. Massive change, but uh, but I think it's only gonna do good for, good for them. Even if yeah. they end up, you know, or we all end up coming back to Canada, I think the experience that they are having is gonna be, they're gonna take in, take it for for the whole life, right? So. So are you gonna plan on bringing the family back here just to visit, or are you or um, spend six months of the year here, six months in Dominican? No, no, no. We we are planning to to stay there. Uh, actually, we just signed up our, our kids for this for the next calendar school year. So so far, we're gonna be staying at least another <laughs> another year and a half because we're liking it. But again, at the end, I truly believe that that you know life, life is an adventure, right? So yeah. we are there, we are learning, we are doing. If we like it, if we adapt, we may stay we may stay longer, right? And if if not, for whatever reason, maybe we yeah, we move somewhere else. Right now, my kids are still even my older, like you know, three four years away from going to university, right? But by the time they need to go to university or college, maybe we'll come back here, or maybe he goes by himself, right? And we spend time here, there, etc., right? Yeah. If he chooses to study in Canada, it could be somewhere else too, right? So well, so now you're living in the new built home that you did, and did you custom built this to your exact preferences like the exact home you wanted yeah 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 actually that was a really interesting process because it was the very first time that we built anything right yeah. so working with the architects and and the builder and going through all that process again not without struggles yeah <laughs> not without delays sure. and, yeah. and and costs above expectations and all, all the crap that we normally deal with but i feel that i i, I learn a lot by by going through 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 that process right mm -hmm. so yeah so now yeah we have and you it. kept your first house are you renting it out now actually yeah i was renting it out it's still renting but i actually sold that one okay so it, it's gonna close uh, mid uh, mid april okay yeah so we're, we're we're gonna be redeploying that capital to other other investment opportunities that now that i'm there and i'm learning that i know are, are better opportunities yes. what actually happens is, is uh, that happens a lot there is that when you have the during the high season which is from december until end of march april everything rents and the rents are decent, or I would say almost everything rents, right? Because it's really the, the high season. There is a lot of people coming from North America that want to stay there for the- Are we talking for, for mainly short-term rentals or Mainly with short-term rental. You can, it can be short and, and long, but in high season, you can get the most through short-term rentals. Okay. Or by renting for three three months or like four, four months. Like a midterm thing? That, that, that midterm just for the winter, because it's winter, you can charge a little bit more. That, that works well too. Okay. But what I realized is that when the when the low season comes, so I experienced a little bit last year, but also by knowing more people and talking, when you get into the low season, in some places, it can be quite low. You gotta be careful, right? So our property in that community, we realize, okay, during low season, it's not good for short-term renters. We will probably rent it only two weekends per, per month during the whole low season. So then the option, which is actually a good option, is to rent it long-term, six months or, or for 12 months. Furnish, right? That's the most common thing there. When you rent or even when you purchase a property, everything's furnished. The mm -hmm. odd one would be maybe only when it's new construction, right? That doesn't have furniture, but if not, it's all furnished. So you rent it long, longer term, furnish, you know, but the, that level of rent was not gonna give me the 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 cash on cash return that I was expecting because you're buying these deals all cash. 
Yes, right now, yeah, these two, we did it all cash because we didn't know any any better. And at the same time, we also wanted, as I said, to take some of our wealth out of Canada for, for all those reasons. But yeah, we, we, we knew that financing was uh, almost impossible. Now that I'm ne- there, I'm, I'm learning how financing, there are some opportunities to, to get some financing. They are still limited and they are not easy, but there is something. But at that time, I didn't have the right advice or enough time. And I just went with, okay, with the advice that I got and pulled the trigger. But now that I'm there and I'm learning the market and I'm meeting people, now, now I'm starting to realize, okay, maybe buying that property for my strategy was a bad deal. Mm. But okay, that's how you learn in life, right? Yeah. That, now you're getting the information advantage over there. Exactly, exactly. That's, yeah. And and there, there is actually, you know, I truly believe that there are lots of opportunities and I know I'm still learning and I'm going to hope to learn a lot over the next few months, but there are a lot of opportunities. The market has been quite hot, I would say, for the last two or three years, almost since uh, the pandemic uh, started. It's a tricky market because you don't have market stats that you, as you would have a anywhere else, but people that I trust and that know what they're doing, I've been there for a while, they tell me that easily since the beginning of the pandemic, prices are up 30%. And right now, there isn't many, there are many properties for sale. So the the inventory is, is rather low, and that's why you see a lot of new construction, which is, that's what you need, right? When you have that level of demand, you really need to add inventory through new construction. So you see a, a lot of development uh, development happening, right? And when I say, yeah, there isn't, there are many good properties for sale, it's true. But if you go online, you're gonna feel that, hey, there are lots of properties for sale and some are a really great bargain. That's because all the marketing that you're gonna find on, online, unfortunately, is quite deceitful from a market where there is no multiple listing service, so there are no, it's no easy, or you cannot really get comps. So we should call that out, there's no MLS service. There's there is, no, no public there is, listing there is no service. MLS. That was at the beginning when I you know, started learning and talking to people, I was quite frustrated. Now I feel better because I'm, trying, I'm finding the way around that, right? But the reality is that there's no multiple listing services. So what that means, so if we can, you know, can get a little bit more detail how that market works, when there's no multiple listing service, it's very hard for anyone by yourself or even with an agent that is helping you to really see all the properties that are truly on the market. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to get a, to understand everything that is true in the market, and it's even harder where there is so ma- much, uh, you know, deception market, deceptive market, and, and there are a lot of properties listed at ridiculously low prices. It's just bait to bring someone in. You'll, you'll call them, and I, I did it, and they tell you, oh, you know what, that was a great deal, but I just sold it last week. Mm. Lie, maybe they sold it two years ago, right? Mm. So, oh, I just sold it, but I have this that I can show you, right? So it's mm. all bait, so you gotta be very, very, very careful with that. And at the same time, the fact that there are no comps, it's also scary because uh, you, you never really know. The value. It, you never really know the exact value. And if you're likely gonna be working with someone that doesn't have your best interest uh, in mind, they're gonna talk their way in terms of you know the rents that you can get or the prices that you can buy it and sell it or prices that this property are selling, whatever. Uh, and and it's, 
it, it can be not true at all, right? Damn, but, and scammers. Can, Everywhere you go, but, Sergio, But they scammers. can get away. That, that's why I, I started to see a lot of value on how we do things here in Canada mm. and, and the multiple listing service and all these rules that you say, okay, you know what? Yeah, there's some things that are not perfect, but at the same time, is it protecting the consumer better than in a place like there? Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Because at least you have comps, right? So when you have comps, yeah, you're purchasing a new property and that property, you know what, based on the comps, it's gonna be in this small range. Mm -hmm. Yeah, property has some issues. You may pay at the bottom of the, the range on the on the comp range or, or you may pay at the, at the highest of the range, but within a limited range. Over there, it feels that the, the range can be quite big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you compared it to the Wild West over there, right? A little yeah. bit. <laughs> That's a good analogy that, yeah. I, that I use, right? So it is tricky from that point of view. Yeah. But at the same time, there are opportunities. And the fact that it's not that transparent, that means that when you actually can dig some opportunity, it can be a really good opportunity, right? Yeah. Just because it's not open for, for everyone to, to see them, right? So kind of goes both ways. Yeah, those wild swings they, allow yeah. you to, to, you know, come across a huge opportunity because it's not so transparent, take some digging. Exactly. But overall, if I have to say, okay, bottom line to me is that a consumer is going to be more protected on a market like Canada, right? Or the US where you have an MLS and you have comps, right? The fact that comps, okay, we talk about the knowing really what's the value. But if you think of multiple listing services, what happens here is that, you know, if you sell a property, you give it to an agent and you normally give that agent exclusivity. And because of the MLS, everyone will have full exposure of what's on the market. Mm -hmm. Over there, because there is no MLS, people are very reluctant to give exclusivity to any selling agent. So what they normally do is they call all the main brokers and they give it to everyone. Hmm. So, so someone's who, listing who at one be, price, someone's listing at another price. Yeah, because what happens is, let's say, let's say that you, you, uh, some people don't even sign a, a listing agreement, but let's say that you sign. Okay, you don't make it exclusive. You may do it with a with a with a lot of uh, agents. Then those agents are gonna publish the property. Is you struggle also for them to do some marketing because the incentive. I was gonna say, just, where do you find just, the, the list? It's just not there, right? If, if they don't give them exclusivity, they don't want to spend much money on marketing. But let's say that they they publish it and they publish it at the at the price that you agree with them. Mm -hmm. But then you have other agents, and a lot of people are trying to make the living out of real estate there, especially in the market is as hot as it is. So other agents will still grab those listings and list it themselves, sometimes at a higher price because they want to get the lead and then they want to leverage that lead and then go to the, the listing agent or the owner directly. <laughs> that happens a lot too. Say, Say I've got hey, a guy. I have someone that I can get you this price, right? Yeah. But wow. I'm gonna get a better commission, right? And you're gonna be better off because you only pay one commission or whatever. So all those funny games happen a lot. Are people, so where are they posting the listings? Online, local newspaper? All the, you know, all these websites uh, from the different brokers. Mm -hmm. So if you you have to dig and see, okay, what's for sale in different brokers, and then uh, you are gonna find sometimes the same properties and sometimes completely. So if you're looking in properties. Puerto Plata, where you are, or yeah, sorry. Puerto Plata is a province. I live in a place called Sosua. Oh, sorry, Sosua. Those two places like Cabarete or Encuentro, which are also growing areas and where you have a higher high share of uh, foreigners, right? Okay. Vacation rentals. So if you're looking in Sosua, then you maybe dig up the 10 brokers 
that are running business in Sasua and you go to all their websites and there you can kind of see all the, the yeah. comps and, and listings? Yeah, okay. but again, it's, 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 it's sometimes not easy to find that true information because you may find a lot of listings that are, you know, property already sold, right? Yeah. Or some just completely fake, right? Because they just, it's just the bait to, to get you to them. Mm. Uh, uh, and you will see how people operate there. And I experienced that myself, right? I was there, I, was, I wanted to invest and talk to a lot of people. And they, they absolutely love foreigners because the foreigners have the money, but they don't have the knowledge of the area. Yeah. So you are there and you want to make the most out of uh, real estate commissions. The best that you can do is try to find a foreigner, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, but it's sad, but that's that's really what it is. So you get, I mean, there are opportunities for sure, but you just have to be careful because not everyone has the integrity level that that you want, right? So. Okay. And, so- oh, sorry, and just to go to that point, because of how agents you know, sometimes compete to each other or try to bypass each other. Let's say that you find an agent that you can trust. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that agent is gonna, hopefully if you trust them, they're not just gonna try to pit, steer you towards the deals that they have, their own listings, where they make most of the commission because that happens too. But then if they are gonna open to co-broker with others or show you other properties, they are only gonna work with the agents that they are familiar with and that they have a good relationship with other people that already know okay, that's not a good person, whatever, don't have a good relationship, they're not gonna work with them. So it's hard for that agent to be able to really off, you know, show you everything that is out there when it's really only what they know the agents that they can work with, right? Mm. So that's why, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be careful. <laughs> okay, so I wanna wrap soon, but I wanna ask you about two more things specifically. One is the pre-construction market. How reputable, what are the pitfalls you have to look out for there? Yeah, so pre-construction there right now, there is a lot. It's either, you know, villa projects in gated communities or outright condos, right? And what's considered a villa, sorry? Oh, sorry, a villa is a, is a house. Like a house? That, that, that's how they call the houses, right? Okay. They are I've always, condos uh, or villas or, or maybe a Villas just sound or, so fancy. I know, I know. Uh, even to me, it was weird at the beginning, but then, yeah, that, that's what it is. Just right? hearing like, oh, like Sergio bought two villas in uh, the Dominican. I'm like, oh, damn, that yeah, sounds I, fancy. I, fall in, I fell into the same trap. But yeah, it's just or houses or condos. Okay. And yes, there are pre-construction process. There are a lot of them. And, and what you have to really be careful that you select the right project, not only that the number works, but also that the, the builder is a reputable builder. Because the tricky situation there is that a lot of people build, they may not have the experience or the financial strength or the reputation, and, and some projects start and don't continue. I even have a very good friend that thought he, you know, he, he found a, a great deal on a, on a condo. He put a lot of money in that project and now that project is stalled and he basically wrote off that investment, right? Ah. He doesn't think he's ever gonna, he's never gonna get the money and maybe there is a slight chance that eventually the project is gonna pick up, it's gonna be completed, but right now it's completely stalled. So you have to be careful about the, you know, the financial uh, position and also their reputation, because over there, people sometimes try to make a big, you know, a big buck by cutting costs on contract on construction. Can they get away with that? They probably can, because even if you have permits, you have inspections, uh, the enforcement of those rules is not as good as it would be here. 
So if you find the right people, great. And they are going to have pride in what they do and deliver a great product because they have a reputation to defend. That's fine. But if you fall into someone that's going to make a big, you know, want to make some bucks on a new development and they don't know what they're doing, there is a chance that that can work (laughs) not in your favor, right? So you just got to be careful. Okay, so, um, all right, I guess we could get to wrapping. I just want, oh, the last thing I wanted to ask you was where are you going to redeploy your capital, do you think? Yeah. So right now we have a, a, we are actually getting into a pre-construction condo, a small studio in an area that is, uh, you know, developing really fast and has a lot of demand. And we think, we know it's going to be very likely good for short-term rental all year long. So how did you find out that the builder you're working with is is reputable? Working with, you know, through other agents that I know or people that I know and checking also the previous projects that they have that they have done. Actually, this is a relatively small builder, but they have done a, a you know, a couple of projects already and they are Canadians from from Quebec, right? So there oh, are a lot okay. of even the the builder so that's the developer and builder. But in the case of a my gated community, I bought I bought the lot, and then I hired the builder. And actually, the builder is also a Canadian that has been oh, cool. there for. So are there a lot of for, expats, for Canadians, years. Americans who are now starting businesses there? Lots. Interesting. Lots Europeans. Lots of people that have been there for a long time. And recently, since the pandemic started, I would say there's an acceleration, right, in terms of people that are moving there. In the past, it used to be, you know. A lot of retirees mm-hmm. we still have the retirees but then you have you know younger families and if someone that can work remote basically remote a digital nomad or is just investing or have a business that can uh, manage remotely because yeah, how's, how's the, how's the internet in the dr it's actually pretty good yeah i mean he, I, i'm paying like a, the, the best plan 45 dollars a month okay and that plan works really well I can go on Zoom. It, it works extremely well. It's just not 100% reliable. Occasionally, you know, it goes down and comes back, etc. Yeah. But for the most part, it, when it works well, it's as fast speed as, as it is anywhere else, right? So no, no issues with that. So. Okay. Um, so you're doing the pre-construction. Um, okay. Man, uh, I think we can wrap up here. You have an amazing story, Sergio. You've w- offered to kind of be the boots on the ground for people in the DR a bit. Yeah. Um, do you want to leave your contact info for people if they want to ask you about stuff? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I talk to a lot of people. People know that, okay, I'm an investor first, so I want to continue to invest there. I want to continue to invest eventually with partners if we have uh, good deals. But I'm also open to start helping in, in investors, right? So uh, so what are your plans specifically down there? Yeah, so so right now I'm I'm negotiating. I may very, you know, very soon sign up with a, with a broker there. Uh, which I really trust, and I think they have the integrity that 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 we need. If it was hard to get to that point, right? Because <laughs> there are a lot of those. So I may sign up uh, with someone, but that's a secondary goal, right? As I said, to me, it's more about you know to continue investing. But I think by doing that type of job, I'm going to be able to learn the market uh, much faster, to be able to find opportunities faster. And along the way, if I can help other investors do the same, that's what I would like to do. 
I was, wow. I mean, I never really worked as a realtor, and this would be, if I end up doing that, it was going to be like working for uh, as a realtor. Yeah. Uh, and in my mind, you know, in the past, I never had a very good opinion of realtors <laughs> overall. Yeah. And based on what I see there, I'm it's a little bit scary too. Yeah. But I do like, you know, what, what you guys are doing here, for example, right? That yeah. like investor-focused realtors that are investors themselves, and because of that, they can be 100% investor-focused and helping others because they have walk that, that down that path before mm -hmm. that's what i would like to to focus on right if i end up doing that it's gonna be like that and with that same rationale right that being able to help investors as all rockstar coaches do here right so yeah wow Amazing. oh yeah sorry in terms of a uh, contact information yeah, yeah do you want to share it's up to you yeah the, the easiest would be to to find me in in facebook okay that's the only social media platform that i'm using right now i'm still trying to find a way to use it better but i've never been i i, I was kind of you know social media averse until recently yeah well <laughs> so it's good you had the blinders on right and you were busy changing your life you were too busy to post on social media. yeah 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 totally totally so yeah. facebook would be a good uh, good or, or or if not my email is a uh, directly you know Sergio.Mansur with C as in zebra at gmail.com. Okay, so Sergio.Mansur with the Z, yeah. Mansur at gmail.com. Yeah. And then Facebook, just Sergio Mansur. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Perfect. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. You're Thanks, so Anthony. It has been a blast. As usual, you know, coming here is, is awesome. So, yeah, your story is so yeah. inspirational, man. Thank you for sharing. Your mindset is incredible. Um, and I'm definitely inspired by your story. So, thank you. Thank you. And I would say it's just the people that did it before us, right? Yeah. I think we are all, if we have the, the right attitude, we can all stand in the shoulders of giants, right? That the people that have done it before, that's the people that inspire us and, and how we learn. And yeah, that's incredible. That's man. what it is. So. Yeah, incredible. Okay. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Damn. How cool is Sergio, everyone? Uh, I'll answer for you as I'm talking to myself. He's awesome. So thank you so much, Sergio, for inspiring us with your story. We cannot wait to see how the next five years unfold for you and your family. We know you'll be doing amazing things down in the DR. One more time, you can email Sergio at Sergio.Manzur. That's ZManzur at gmail.com or find him on Facebook under his name, Sergio Manzur. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Also, many people now have shared incredibly kind and encouraging compliments regarding me hosting some of these podcasts along with Tom now. So thank you times a million for that. Your support really means so much to me. Uh, Tom, Nick, and the Rockstar team have been very supportive and encouraging as well. And none of these podcasts are possible without them and their help. So thank you, team, for your support and everything that you do here. As Sergio said at the end there, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. And I definitely feel that way here at Rockstar. So I feel incredibly grateful for the opportunity to host these podcasts and share the amazing stories and experience of, of people, experiences of people like Sergio who are taking action to live life on their own terms. So thank you for all your support and for making it this far in the podcast. Once again, go to rockstarinnercircle.com slash member to check out all the benefits of joining the Rockstar Inner Circle yourself. Sergio was also on the podcast back in 2020 and you can find that episode if you Google his name and the Your Life, Your Term show. He did that one with Tom and it was a great intro to him as well. And with that, we hope to catch you on the next episode, everyone. Bye for now.